Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. While I proceeded to explain it, a great fear seemed to come over the crowd, and several said, Forgive us. We have been rude. If you want to speak, we will listen. I went on speaking and found them most attentive. When we were leaving, they invited us warmly to return. And as I say, I could go on to read of, of such victory, such changes in attitudes that could only come through prayer and boldness, the courage that was in the heart of Jonathan Goforth. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and again we're coming to another part of Jonathan Goforth's ministry in China. Jonathan Goforth was our great Canadian missionary to China. We are proud of his work. We are thankful for God's grace to him and the work that he accomplished. He saw many, many victories as he introduced the gospel to the lives of the Chinese people. And as I said yesterday, that uh, we reap the benefit. We see the harvest. We see the multitudes of uh, Chinese Christians that have come to know the Lord Jesus. And we certainly rejoice today in the harvest of the gospel. Now, it's always difficult to be a Christian in most societies. Uh, we have it relatively easy, but that doesn't make it any better here in Canada. And we thank God for the triumph of the gospel in the hearts of Chinese people and throughout Asia and various other nations of the world. May the Lord give us a missionary spirit, a burden, and a passion to pray and to assist in some way that we might have a part in this great work of taking the gospel to the world. Stay tuned as we learn more of Jonathan Goforth of China. And his ministry in the slums of Toronto, along with those summer ministry, really helped to equip him as he would go to China. In June 1887, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, they voted to take Jonathan Goforth and another man, J. Fraser Smith, as missionaries to China. And the following October, that was June, the General Assembly met. The following October, he was ordained in Knox Presbyterian Church in Toronto. And around that time, he and his wife were also married. And in January 1988, on the 19th, they had a farewell service in Knox Presbyterian Church just a day or two before they were to set out for China. Now, it was very interesting to learn that on the platform of that farewell service was the recent mayor of Toronto, W.H. Howland, and he was well known in the city for his Christian work. 
He was Toronto's 25th mayor. He was a businessman who was elected president of the Board of Trade back in 1874. He was involved in many causes like Toronto General Hospital, Hospital, the Toronto Bible Training School, and the Christian Missionary Union. Wouldn't we do anything to have a mayor like that in our major cities in Canada today? Now, he is the man who coined the term Toronto the Good. And in those days, they were seeking to address the slums, the low living, and the needs of the city to turn the city to become Toronto the Good. In that meeting, the farewell meeting on January 19th, that's 1888, there was a story told of another missionary who had gone out to India. That missionary said to the people, now that's the missionary that was going to India, this is the report that was given, that that missionary said to the sending congregation, my wife and I are taking the risk to be your missionary to India, and we're going down into a horrible pit to present the gospel. We're depending on you to hold the ropes. You've probably heard that missionary language before, holding the ropes in prayer pleading for the congregation to remember to pray for them. That missionary went to India, but in two years he had returned after burying his wife and their little child, and he returned in defeat and in a sense of failure. He slipped into the prayer meeting of the church, and he listened to the prayers of the people. His name nor his mission was mentioned. And after the meeting, he went to the front of the church, and he said, to the shame of all, I have just discovered the reason for the failure of our mission. The people did not remember to pray. I can say, as I read through this uh, biography on Jonathan Goforth, that that congregation and many of God's people in Knox Presbyterian Church prayed very earnestly, and there were marked answers to prayer for Jonathan Goforth as he went. His farewell at the Old Market train station in Toronto was a memorable day. The place was crowded with Christians, and they were singing gospel hymns as they saw Jonathan Goforth and his wife Rosalind board the train, and they sang, Onward, Christian Soldiers. Can you imagine the testimony of that in the city as they made their farewell? When they were on their train journey, they came to Manitoba. They ran into snowdrifts, and at Portage La Prairie, they had to billet with the principal of the college, and then when they came to Vancouver, what did they find? A city that was charred a ruin, because in 1886, Vancouver had that great fire. Then they headed on the high seas of the Pacific Ocean for 15 days, sailing by Japan on their way to Shanghai. And they arrived there, and the report is, sick all the way. 
It was a smallish vessel that was heavily laden. And at one point, the carpenter of the ship came to their room and asked for earnest prayer. He was afraid the ship was going to break up in the midst of the sea. But they arrived safely, and they arrived in Shanghai. The Presbyterian Church, uh, which had worked with the China Inland Mission, and there were many other missionaries there, they assigned the area of North Hunan to the Goforths and to others that were with them to start a mission there. Now, they witnessed uh, really the first terrible sin of China, an opium palace. An opium palace is a place really was a drug house, a prostitution house, a place that Chinese gloried in, but they gloried in to their shame. And it was an introduction to the ways of life of the people. Their first home was in a place called Chifu. And as I mentioned this morning in my sort of introduction to the message, they lost all their belongings to a house fire that broke out. Photographs, little mementos, uh, letters, various other items. They just saved a Bible and a vase of money. And they escaped with their lives from that house fire. Jonathan Goforth, in comforting his wife, he turned to her and he said, they're just things. We are still alive. And with a determination, he encouraged his wife to press on. Now, the first year, as you can imagine, was taken up with language study. Now, Jonathan Goforth was no expert in languages. He found it exceedingly difficult to learn the language. There were other missionaries that uh, really excelled and uh, helped him in the language and translated for him on occasions, but he was really struggling with the language. And as he struggled, a break remarkably came in his ability to proclaim the gospel in Chinese. And there was a day when it just as if God loosened his tongue, as if his brain began to click with the grammar and the dialect of the language. And it was as if it was a gift from God. And he learned later through a letter that he received from people back in Canada in Knox Presbyterian Church that there was a particular day when there was a prayer meeting for Jonathan Goforth that he might have God's help to understand and communicate in Chinese. And he was convinced that it was on that day, that same day of the prayer meeting in Canada, that there was the breakthrough in his ability to grapple with the language and to proclaim it. Nothing like the gift of tongues, just God's help to enable him to proclaim the message. A linguist later said of Jonathan Taylor's uh, manner of speaking in Chinese that it was unique. It was not book learned. It was not the influence of a dialect. It was a unique gift from God. And the linguist said, don't lose it because it is something very special. 
As they were assigned to that north area of Hunan, he got a note from Hudson Taylor, and he was exhorted in this manner. He said, we as a mission have sought for 10 years to go into the province of Hunan from the south, and have only just succeeded. Brother, if you enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. And the emphasis on prayer was certainly greatly needed. At that same time, he got other advice from another missionary who said to him, never mention the name Jesus to the Chinese because they will be greatly offended at that name. Jonathan Goforth refused that advice, and he became a very skilled personal evangelist. He would preach with his Bible in hand, and he would use the Bible as the sword of the Spirit, and he would not only give the impression, but in reality, speak to the people straight from the Bible. Here's what God says. Here's what God in his word says to you. It was a most direct biblical chapter by chapter or verse by verse method of conveying the, the message of the gospel. It was certainly adept to open air preaching of which Jonathan Goforth did a lot. He went into villages, sought to gather around a crowd. And of course, when you're a foreigner, uh, it was easy for a crowd to gather around and just stare at you. But then when he began to speak in the name of, of the Lord and to preach the gospel to them, well, that made them either to rejoice, but sometimes they rejected the message. I pause for a moment to just slow down a little because at one point when they went to this area of Honan, and I apologize if I've got the spelling wrong, the pronunciation wrong. I've seen a number of different spellings of this area, some of H-U-N-A-N, H-O-N-A-N, and I'm sure it's pronounced variously uh, in English and Chinese, but it's the inland, upper, higher elevated country, which was hot, hot, hot. The summers were unbelievably hot, and even though he was born and raised in Ontario, uh, Jonathan Goforth had no idea of the problem that that heat would bring. And then there would be the flies and the disease, the dysentery. And their little girl, a child that was born, Gertrude, became ill and died right uh, in the early days of moving into that province. They had another child that was named Donald. He lived to about 18 months but also died as a result of a head injury. He fell, hit a vase of some kind, and before there was any treatment or help, that little child passed away. But then there was a third baby boy. His name was Paul. Two years later, they settled in a place called Chu Wang. It was a most inhospitable country area with terrible resentment from the people who absolutely hated foreigners. 
the predisposition against them, of course, was that they had never encountered foreigners. This was inland. This was away from the coast. This was new territory where missionaries had not yet arrived. And there were evil reports that were spread about these foreigners, that these missionaries have special medicines, but the medicines are made from the body parts of little children, even from the eyeballs of children that are stewed to make these medicines. And the people were incensed with these foreigners coming that would kidnap their children, and they would never see them again. And uh, these things greatly built up a resentment until somehow or other there was a, a political uh, statement made that just ended it, just like that. This ho uh, hostility just ended, and there became a warmer relationship over time. The first convert was a man called Wang Fango. He was his translator. He was a kind of a philosopher to the Chinese and therefore carried some respect by the locals. His baptism was a great witness to Chinese people. When he offered himself to be baptized publicly and uh, declared his commitment to Christ, it was a very big event. But not only did he live as a Christian, but he became an evangelist. And having the language, having uh, the standing of somewhat of a philosopher in the area, his uh, message was well received by the people. Now, I want to read to you what a day of ministry was like for Jonathan Goforth. Now, I could read pages, but I won't. And I just want to read to you a little short excerpt here. Now, these ministries were in the villages. Uh, there were not large cities in this particular area, but there were many, many, many city villages of local people, and he would go into them and begin to preach the gospel. On another occasion, in company with two evangelists, I entered a village and started to preach. From the outset, they mocked me and would not listen. I tried every device, but in vain. I could not hold them. I then called upon Mr. Sue to speak, but he fared worse than I did and soon gave in. Finally, I called Mr. Lee. He was earnest and well up in years. I hoped they would respect age, but no, they seemed determined not to have us there. After about 10 minutes of a vain struggle, Mr. Lee stopped and turned to me and said, Let us go. It is no use trying to speak. They will not listen. I was pretty well aroused by this time. I felt it would never do to give the devil the victory. So I opened up the Bible at Matthew 10, verses 14, 15, and read out the riot act recorded there. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. While I proceeded to explain it, a great fear seemed to come over the crowd, and several said, Forgive us. We have been rude. If you want to speak, we will listen. I went on speaking and found them most attentive. When we were leaving, they invited us warmly 
to return. And as I say, I could go on to read of, of such victories, such changes in attitudes that could only come through prayer and boldness, the courage that was in the heart of Jonathan Goforth. Allow me to digress a little bit here. Jonathan Goforth lived in the era when A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Missionary Alliance Church, uh, was at his heyday. He was at his peak. He was next thing to a Pentecostal. He was very friendly with Pentecostals, and he believed in divine healing of the human body. Jonathan Goforth wasn't a scholar, but he was influenced by some books that he had brought to China with him on divine healing. And of course, on the mission field, there was not a lot of medical help, and there were times when he was tempted to follow the way of A.B. Simpson and to use no means, no doctors, no medicines, not even a poultice. And one time when he was under a heavy attack of malaria, and it seemed to his wife that he was deathly sick, there was a particular Dr. Menzies that learned of his illness and said that if he does not take quickening, he will not survive. Another attack or two, he will be gone. But if he takes quinine, that's Q-U-I-N-I-N-E, that's for malaria, um, he will be better in a week. His wife got down at his bedside and pleaded with him to give up, really, the teachings of A.B. Simpson and the idea that you do not use means to be healed. And with her tears, she pleaded with him to take the quinine. And he said, for you, I will do it. And he took the quinine, and he was better in a week. From that time on, he was not dogmatic about the issue of divine healing. Now, I say that here because in the biography I've been reading, this was a pressing issue, because on the mission field, there are many situations where you don't have the regular means and doctors and hospitals. What do you do? And here is a great lesson for us. Where there are means to heal, use them. And pray for God's blessing upon them. And that certainly worked in the life of A.B. Simpson. I close with a few words on the days of revival that came to the various stations where he was preaching. To sum it up, in the year 1908, a tremendous revival came to the land of Korea and also to Manchuria. And somehow in the providence of God, schedules got mixed up, and Jonathan Goforth got scheduled to attend with a, a mission leader to go to Korea. And there he witnessed what God was doing. I couldn't speak the language. He didn't minister much there. But he witnessed the power of revival in Korea, north and south at that time. Uh, the hermit kingdom, as it was called, had received the gospel with tremendous power. And it was through the ministry of Presbyterian missionaries 
Not that I'm just pumping Presbyterians at the exclusion of others, but sometimes people think that Presbyterian has no vision, no gospel influence. In Korea, to this day, there are millions of Presbyterians. Um, as a result of those revivals in the early 1900s. Then as he traveled with that missionary representative through Manchuria, again there were revivals. And for a short period, Goforth went there as an evangelist to work in that area until revival came to inland China, the very area, Chifu, where he had commenced. Now, I had marked a whole lot of areas to quote, but we don't have the time for that tonight. But at the close of his ministry, when he must have been close to 50 years ministering the gospel, he <clears throat> suffered pneumonia, but loss of eyesight. And his last years on the mission field were a tremendous struggle but also a powerful witness because he could counsel people reciting the scriptures and he would get people to read the Bible for him. And if they missed a word, he would check them and say, no, you missed one. And he would, uh, even from his memory, be able to recall the word of God. But it came to the day when he could not continue and the day of his farewell came in 1834, and then he made his trip home through Vancouver. And he had a few days of meetings on his way through, and then arrived back in Toronto, Knox Church. His funeral took place there in Toronto in October 10th, 1936 a long life of missionary service. When he paid the price, but with courage and prayer, saw God do great things and certainly laid a foundation for the gospel with others. You know, no man works alone. There were others on that mission field, but there certainly was something very special and unusual about his ministry. What have we learned from Jonathan Goforth's life? Simply this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, the gospel of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's passion. And may God give us that passion in our service for him, in our daily walk. May you have that this week. May you find some soul to witness to. Give them a gospel booklet. Sit down and share it with them. And may the Lord use you in some way as a missionary in this week to come. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.